0: Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with both Donna Didi and Lori Otto. So Donna is President and Chief Executive Officer of Holy Childhood, a non-dominational, nonprofit organization which has enriched the lives of children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities for 70 years. The organization's recent expansion of the Special Touch Bakery developed a full-scale food manufacturing operation to provide training and employment in the community for people with disabilities and their non-disabled peers. Donna is also president of the Council of Agency Executives. Formerly president and CEO of Bishop Kearney High School, Dee brought an innovative approach to technology in the classroom. Via a partnership with Paychex founder Tom Galassano, the school became a model for 21st century learning, recognized as a leader by the National Catholic Education Association at a Loyola University conference in 2009. Didi also previously served as senior vice president at the United Way of Greater Rochester, following a nearly 20-year career in television journalism in Rochester at WHEC TV 10 and Fox Rochester. A past president of Rochester Rotary, Donna is a director of the Family First Federal Credit Union and trustee of Rochester Discovery Charter School, as well as a member of the St. John Fisher College School of Business Dean's Leadership Circle and a member of the Board of Directors of the Developmental Disabilities Alliance of Western New York. Wow. So you may be one person uh, that that wears more hats than I do around town. So thank (laughs) you so much for joining us. I cannot keep
1: up with you. (laughs) And
0: uh, and we're excited to have Lori along with us as well. Uh, She is the uh, Director of Public Relations for, for Holy Childhood. So this, is, this will be our first podcast to have two interviewees. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes, testing my uh, interview abilities. But why don't we get started, Donna? Um, I'd really love to hear, we were talking a little bit as we were getting ready, mm-hmm. that you know there's a, there's a lot of different career tracks in there. So what, what led you eventually to, to Holy Childhood and in the current projects you're working on?
1: Yeah. I, well, I feel I'm feel very blessed to have been able to reinvented reinv- uh, myself a few times throughout a career, uh, and it's been it's been an interesting path. But I always like to talk about the idea that there were transferable skills which were developed all through that path. And so, with the basis of the communication journalism uh, work that I had done for over 20 years, I, I came to learn my community and be a part of the community and really see the inner workings of what was going on here in the greater Rochester area. And so that carried forth into uh, the work at United Way, where I started to learn about human services and understood how the inner workings of those services in our community worked and came to realize this is a pretty caring community. And that I was interested in that and interested in leadership. And Bishop Carney came about because I wanted to hone my leadership skills through a place that uh, I had an affinity for, and I was an alum of Bishop Kearney. So all of that, you know, I was dealing with education and then looked forth to... Holy Childhood. I was aware of the organization. I knew what good work it was doing, serving people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and came over and realized that it was so much broader than I ever envisioned, and that's how I came to Holy Childhood. So I came to realize the good work we're doing for both children and adults, and then what an impact this organization and the people we're serving can have on our community as a whole, and that's what has kept me here. It's a wonderful organization.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. The more actually that I'm getting into conscious capitalism and trying to share some of these stories, uh, I wish I had a little bit more experience in, in journalism. And that storytelling is, I think just so, uh, so universal to, to mm-hmm. how you get people excited about initiatives that you're working on or, or, or tell some of those stories and inspire people. And so I'm sure that there's a lot of transferable skills. As Sometimes you say you, know, you never would have imagined the path that you, that you went on, but looking backwards, it all makes sense. And hopefully all those skills that you built up have, have brought you to where you are today.
1: Well, I, I feel that way and I feel fortunate about that. And at the end of the day, communication is so important. And that's what I've done all of my career. And it's uh, an aspect of my leadership that I Try to work on constantly, and it's it's hard, but I think it's so important in any organization to have that happen on a regular basis and have it be quality communication. That helps to build your culture, and that's what we're working on.
0: Absolutely, I, I think that's a, a really important piece. You know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about this. I think over the course of the podcast, in terms of how conscious capitalism can some, sometimes blur the lines between the for profit and the nonprofit sector, you know, bringing as, as you're doing, bringing a more of a, a business focus and, and mindset to a nonprofit. Sometimes it's the other way around bringing the, those businesses to be more purpose driven, more, more community focused. And it's a, it's a bit of a balance and I'm sure maybe we'll be able to talk about some of mm-hmm. some of those challenges. Uh, but, but I also wanted to hear from Lori, what was it that brought you to Holy Childhood? How long have you been there?
2: I've been there for just about six years now, and my journey at Holy Childhood is a unique one in that I started out as a volunteer. So I had a career um, in broadcasting, doing promotion and public affairs, working for nonprofits in the area, and got downsized and decided I wanted to just get out of myself for a while and give back to the community. So I landed at Holy Childhood and volunteered there for close to a year. Uh, before I was lucky enough to get a job as a one-to-one aide in our classrooms. So I was able to work there for about a year and a half and then go on to be the public relations manager there. So it was a great opportunity and just a blessing for me to get in on the school side of things and see how the school program worked. And that has only helped me serve our children and adults that are there even better.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. It it leads me into what I was hoping to touch on now was to hear a little bit more, because I know some about the Special Touch Bakery, but but really that is just one one piece of, of everything that, that Holy Childhood does, and so could you maybe talk a little bit about maybe what that overarching, uh, the, the mission and some of the programs that are within Holy Childhood other than the Special Touch?
2: Sure, I can touch on them, and Donna can definitely go more in depth, but we have a, a school program that serves children ages 5 to 21. We have an adult program. Uh, We have skills in transition. We have day habilitation programs. We have our work-based learning program. We have our Special Touch Bakery, as we're talking about. We have a woodworking program. And we have our partners with industry, which is our fulfillment division. So a lot of people may think that we have a school program and that's it. But Holy Childhood is multifaceted, and we serve a variety of
1: different uh, people and programs, and it's very far-reaching. And when you think about it uh, in its foundation, I, I like to say that the sisters of St. Joseph, who actually originally founded Holy Childhood, probably could be called the original conscious capitalist. All right. Okay. Because they saw a need and they started the program. Period. They saw that these kids with special needs were falling through the cracks in traditional education and said, you know what, we need to do something about it and we're going to create it. And what they built, that very foundation, those values hold true today. And we're trying to carry them forth. There, we've exponentially increased the size of the organization and the the breadth of the organization. But at the end of the day, you know we're kind of following those same tenets, and I think uh, we we could learn a lot as business leaders, you know, leaders of all kinds of organizations from operating from a mission focus like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. so. Was was Special Touch then, was that apart from the beginning, or was that something that evolved as as Holy Childhood was coming into being?
1: Yeah, so it evolved. It was a situation where Holy Childhood started out with two classrooms, and then more classrooms, and then, you know what? We need to serve the adults too, these graduates from the school, and suddenly an adult program came into being, and there was a vocational instructor who said, gosh, for job training, we, we should provide these individuals an opportunity to learn transferable skills. And so, hmm, what are some things we can break up into parts to teach them job skills? Well, baking kind of fit that that mold. So a little 35 years ago or so, uh, Shirley Lynch was the vocational instructor, and that's exactly what she started doing. And suddenly they started baking pies, and people said, wow, these are really good. We should sell those. And she was one of the people who went out, this vocational instructor with no sales experience, went to local restaurants. So the Highland Park Diner was the first who said, we really like these pies and we're going to serve them. And that's how the enterprise was born. It was born of a job training opportunity and suddenly telling the story and perpetuating the mission. And here we are.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that's one thing that, that you and I have talked about in the past as well is, is how do you share that story? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's companies, uh, Grayson Bakery is a great example. They, they have a, a really mission focus you know, behind their brownies, but then it becomes difficult when you're, when you're selling those brownies to, to say, here's all the things by, by buying our brownies that you're helping mm-hmm. to support through their open hiring process. And similarly, you know, if, if you're looking at two uh, pies on the shelf being able to tell that story Mm -hmm. and being able to, you know, maybe even being willing to pay a premium because of what you're supporting by by supporting, you know, voting with your dollars, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So Um, What has that been like, trying to tell the story of all that goes into uh, the baking those pies? Well, that's Lori's job.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an ongoing story, and we strive to tell the story of our bakers and the mission of the bakery every opportunity we get. And yes, we, we make phenomenal pies, and our bakers are the best bakers that we've ever met. But telling that story is very, very important, and it gets to your heart. Um, our bakers uh, work side by side uh, with non-disabled peers, and they just want what everybody else wants. They want a job. They want to make money. Um, When they come to work in the morning, they are ready to work, and they're happy to be there and happy to do it. So we need to tell that story every single opportunity we get, whether it's through social media, whether it's through our newsletter, uh, when we're at uh, food shows, trade shows, uh, vendor events, uh, at the farmer's market when we're selling the pies and our bakers are there being so proud and saying, buy my pie. Um, The story always has
1: to go along with the product. We have always seen that our people are our competitive advantage. The story is the competitive advantage. We do have exceedingly high-quality product, and that's like a given. You've got to have great product, and and we do. But when you tell that story and people realize who's behind it, who's baking the pie, it means something, Uh, and we have to stick to that mission, and, and that's very important. It's hard sometimes to marry the story with the the story of the quality product too, sure. and that is something that, that we struggle with because you know, it depends on who your customer is or who you, who you're seeking as a customer. Do they really care about who made it, or do they really just want a really good product? And so we're trying to balance that, and it, it's a bit of a struggle uh, to f- figure out a way to do that effectively. Uh, but but I think we're we're working on it. <laughs>
0: So I, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about you know it's it's been almost exactly a year One since year. you expanded the the special touch bakery but behind that a little bit was some some regulatory changes and some some things that happened where where you really recognized the the need to to step up and and do something a little bit differently than you had done in the past and. And, and I think that's a, a piece of conscious capitalism as well, is not just maybe following the, the, the letter of the law and, you know, you know trying to find the loopholes, but how do we take the, the spirit of it and, and really try to do everything we can as an organization? Uh, you know, I think of the uh, local NPR affiliate, WXXI, did a great podcast called Exited that mm-hmm. really talked about some of the challenges for many of these uh, young people with different abilities that end up graduating out of the out of the system so to speak and, and are exited mm-hmm. and, and the challenges that they face in, in kind of integrating and so can you talk a little bit about some of the the regulatory challenges and maybe just the challenges overall that some of these students might be facing without the programs that you have:
1: sure absolutely and and that really is was the impetus but I also like to say it gave us license to do what we knew we needed to do all along so the regulatory change came about in New York State by saying, you know what, organizations like Holy Childhood, Arc of Monroe, uh, CDS, Lifetime Assistants who have sheltered workshops and have for a very long time, where you have groups of people working in jobs in a quote-unquote sheltered environment, you can't do that anymore. We want to make sure that we're promoting community-based opportunities. We want to make sure we're promoting job development and competitive employment for people of different abilities, which is a great idea, except, you know, regulatory reform being what it is, sometimes you're thrust all at once make the change. Well, this has been a little bit of a drawn out process, but we decided, you know what, we have a great programmatic asset here. Let's just Bite the bullet. Let's do it. Let's create this new enterprise, expanded enterprise, and we're going to create the environment. We're going to create the culture. We're going to create the jobs, and we're going to hire people, and we're going to make this a thriving, sustainable enterprise. Sounds easy, right? (laughs) A lot of challenges associated with that, but regulators actually came to visit us uh, about six months ago, and they began to held us up as an example of how it ought to be done. And part of the challenge is, you know, when we're trying to place people who are difficult to place sometimes into community-based businesses, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to come to the business and say, we would like you to hire this group of people or this person. And they say, okay, but perhaps their productivity is twenty percent of what uh, another worker's might be. How do you get the work done? How do you get the? How do you promote the business? And so we create an environment that understands that and kind of serves as a model for employers to understand what can be done, what is possible, and how people of different abilities actually do have something to contribute and, and can be more productive when they're supported in the right culture.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what success looks like. Uh, you know, as you're, as you're trying to think of having some of these students come in and give them, give them job-ready mm-hmm. type of skills and abilities and build those, is it hoping that they stick around with you forever, or are you, or are you trying to place them elsewhere once they get to a certain level? What does success look like?
1: Success looks like an individual having choice and options, and having been given the skills to be able to go out and figure that out for themselves, maximizing independence and celebrating their own personal abilities. That's success. And so, you know, we could put numbers to it if you want to call success. So we've gone from 700 square feet in a school kitchen making 17,000 pies a year to 20,000 square feet of a state-of-the-art full commercial Bakery operation that in this past year made 100,000 pies. So that's success. But the most success is when what we saw this morning standing out on that bakery floor, and you see a group of um, more than 40 people, some of whom are employed, some of them are in training programs, some of them who have IDD, some of them who do not, all of them have different abilities. And they're being successful, and they have pride in their work, and it's working. That's success first and foremost.
0: I, I can't even I can't even imagine. I, you know, I, I've I've been to Special Touch, although it was probably about a year ago, right right mm-hmm. around after the after the grand opening. So I've I've been swayed by by the pies and seeing the story firsthand. Uh, but I'm curious because that. Even for a traditional for-profit business, that is phenomenal growth to to go through in a year, and even more so when you are a either a for-profit business or a a maybe more profit-focused business mm-hmm. inside of a nonprofit and, and balancing those. So I'm I'm curious as you're growing, um, how do you find balance for those for those two? I won't say competing. I don't want to. I don't want to put them at odds with each other. But but they are definitely can can be some tension between the two.
1: Definitely, and and it can be a challenge. So we cr- actually Special Touch Bakery Inc. is a five hundred one c three not for profit corporation, and we purposely set it up that way. But we established the mission was primarily to provide employment and opportunity for people with disabilities, in. A community-based environment that gives them as much independence as possible. And pretty clear cut. Our first line of our mission statement didn't say we're going to create this business that will make us all rich and you know become wildly successful in a nanosecond. That's not the mission. Now we would like to become financially sustainable, and we've built this pro forma that projects that you know what, by year three, I'll bet we're break even. And we're hoping, like any startup business operation, that we will. So hard decisions. When we look at our first year of operation, are we breaking even? Not yet. So if we were only profit-focused, those 25 employees who are making competitive wages, we might have cut our workforce back had we been singularly profit-focused, we are singularly mission-focused, so we've retained these workers, and that's part of our business model. You know, we understand that we, we want to turn a profit because the profits, by the way, our mission tells us, those profits will go back to fund underfunded programs at Holy Childhood, which, you know, it, it's a difficult road providing these services. The funding never matches the provision sure. of service and the high quality, so but we knew we had to struggle a little bit and we were willing to do that because that's the mission.
0: Yeah, I, I think many leaders these days, they know to say, oh, well, our people are our most important asset and they can you know slam the table and say that as often as they want, but then as soon as there is a either a downturn in the economy or a tough year, uh, when headcount is the first cost you look to, mm. uh, to cut and, and to eliminate some of your headcount, it sends a pretty clear message uh, to, to your employees. And, and that's frankly one of the things that conscious capitalism has found. Uh, a lot of these companies, they find other ways or, or they find ways to rather than get rid of folks to, to share that burden. And then when the economy turns around or a new client comes on or new customer base mm-hmm. uh, you know starts to build – those employees are so much more committed because they felt like in the tough times they were a part of something and they felt cared for. Mm-hmm. And how much harder are they going to want to work and how much more energy are they going to bring every morning when they show up to work?
1: That's exactly right. And, you know, if, if this were the case in 10 years... I may be out of a job because my board might say, Okay, balance is important, but we now we really do have to make a go of it, and we 're working on that we 're developing the business model we we want sustainability both for special touch and for holy childhood and the and the people it serves so uh, we are working on the business model
0: so i don 't want to jump too far ahead but but i 'm interested just hearing that a little bit with with special touch is does 5 years down the road or 10 years down the road if if this does become sustainable which would just be phenomenal would would there be other maybe micro businesses that could potentially get started or that might be looked at
1: sure and and i think it's not if it's when when it becomes sustainable when it turns a profit and begins to fulfill the mission completely, right? It it will happen. And, you know, we're trying to be smart about it and developing lines of business that we probably didn't think about. You know, certainly not 10 years ago we didn't think about it. But there was always this hint of entrepreneurship, even in the foundation of this thing, uh, 30-plus years ago. I mean, how entrepreneurial was that, that, you know, a vocational instructor... Thought of this idea, and then it took off. Well, we're trying to expand on that, and so you know we're baking pies. Uh, we're, do- we're not just for individuals any any longer. I mean, people certainly will buy our premium pies, but we're also seeking commercial opportunities and uh, private label opportunities for for contract work. Those are the underlying portions of our business model, which will keep us sustainable and enable us to keep creating the premium pies and et cetera. So down the road, other businesses, it is not out of the question. I and mean, when you look at the, the um, opportunities within Holy Childhood, the other workshops, so we have a fulfillment shop, Partners with Industry, there is ample opportunity for us to develop those businesses into community-based businesses, very similar in model to special touch, but on a different scale. So those are the things we're actually working on right now.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting to hear. I, you know, I think that, you know, there's, there's not, it's not always an opportunity to turn a, a nonprofit into some kind of revenue generation. But when there, when there is opportunities to think outside the box a little bit, you know, the, the grant funding is always difficult to chase after. And what if instead, maybe not all opportunities can be for fully self sustaining, but, but maybe bringing in some revenue or even just the dignity of work. Quite honestly, you know, to to be able to have people that are feeling like they are contributing and, and that they are are learning things, you know, we all want to we all want to learn and grow and, and and contribute, and and so when you're looking at maybe that as as an opportunity and a future for for you and maybe you know in your role with the council of agency executives or or other nonprofits that that you interact with, do you see a shift uh, among other nonprofits to thinking in a more Conscious capitalism, you know, blending the for-profit, nonprofit profit are, are others thinking about this? Or obviously you, you all are trailblazers, but... Um I'm interested if, if you hear others thinking about these sorts of ideas.
1: I do. I mean, there, there is a, there's a group of really skilled, talented, visionary, brave leaders in our human service sector, in this community, whom I admire every day because of what they do. And the reality of it is we are all facing crises in funding, So if we receive government funding for the services we provide, it's never enough. It's never enough to sustain the high-quality level of services that we all strive to achieve. And the onus is on us to uh, think like businesses in a way in, in that we have to find ways to break even, even though our revenue streams are short. And so we become more entrepreneurial and we try to find alternative revenue streams. I, I did it at Bishop Kearney. That was, that was exactly what we tried to do, where you know, we tried to find out, besides tuition and fundraising, you know, how are we going to fill an ongoing operating deficit? And you just have to become a little more entrepreneurial. But it's a challenge. And, you know, we were fortunate that we were able to raise capital, although we haven't raised it all. And so you become creative with lending and, and really uh, trying to find ways to fund and, until you can get on your own feet. But every not-for-profit has to do that. And, and yes, I think everybody's trying to be a little entrepreneurial so that you can continue to maintain this high level of service that this community has really come to be known for.
0: So I'm imagining that maybe there are some nonprofit leaders out there that hopefully are listening to the podcast and and may be contemplating some ideas of different businesses that they might be able to to start. Uh, What are some of the challenges that you faced along the way that maybe you could pass along that they might be able to learn from?
1: Well, they know what they are, <laughs> and and it's it's raising the capital to be able to launch an enterprise, to really step into a venture and say, okay, we're going to start it. You know, money is short, and so fortunately, we have philanthropists in this community. There there is grant funding uh, for startup enterprises that that helps, but that's probably the number one challenge. The the other challenge I think is operational expertise. So I'm here to tell you. Donna Didi knew nothing about starting up a bakery. In fact, my family said, "You're starting what?" because I've never seen you bake a cookie in our house. Mm. So, you know, I knew nothing about that. And with the number 1 rule, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And I I think that's what I've done, you know, with people who have understood how to to do this. And, you know, third, be brave. You have to be brave and, and take a leap of faith. Our board leadership was incredibly supportive uh, but cautiously optimistic about what we could achieve. It's something that we all, they always said for 20-some years, they've always said, you know, we should expand the bakery. I'm not sure this is exactly what they had in mind, <laughs> but hopefully, you know, it'll work out and their their investment will, will come to fruition. So... A lot of challenges, mostly financial and operational. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And now was there any, you, you talked about trying to be entrepreneurial even before this and, and a lot of nonprofit leaders having to get a little bit creative about how to make the two ends meet. Mm-hmm. But was there a shift in mindset among your, among your leadership team or among those working there in terms of getting them to think a little bit more entrepreneurially or just more business oriented to try to create this as a sustainable venture?
1: The unfortunate thing in nonprofit organizations, often when you utter the dreaded B word, business, they think it's evil <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they think of it as profit-centered or that it will make us stray from our mission. And so I think uh, what, what I've experienced is these incredible organizations, which are rooted in their mission, um, sometimes let that get in the way of thinking a little differently. So it, it takes uh, management of culture and engendering trust. You know, trust me, trust us. That it, the minute we venture into a business opportunity, it doesn't mean that we will abandon everything that made us us. And and I preach that all the time, and Lori can attest to. Absolutely. You know, I want to make sure that we're paying attention to what makes us us, and that's our culture, it's our people, it's our mission. You can't let go, but you've got to have the trust.
0: Yeah, so I actually want to kick this one over to Lori now, because I'm I'm thinking of my perpetual challenge when I talk about conscious capitalism, to your point, uh, Donna, is that Half the people hate the word conscious, and the other people ha- half the people hate the word capitalism. You know, it's it's this it's this dual kind of mentality that people are are struggling with with rectifying the two. So, what do you think in in your experience of trying to tell this story of of a more capitalistic, you know, nonprofit organization, and, and then maybe I could I could learn a little bit when I'm talking to the capitalists about how to be, become more conscious.
2: Our history is very, very important to our story. So trust definitely does come a lot into it. And it is our job to convince uh, folks that we are sticking to the history of our roots um, and just ask them to go on this journey with us and show them that we are sticking to our roots and our history. Holy Childhood um, has such a rich history when we started the school program with the Sisters of St. Joseph. And yes, things have changed over the years, many, many times over, but the core beliefs and the core values are still there. And um, it just takes time to show people that we're not going to stray away from our mission, that we're going to
1: stick to it. Uh, what I, I wanted to add, you know, it's not, when we, we talk about our, you know, economics lessons, you know, what's the, the purpose of business? Well, we want to maximize shareholder value. Well, that, that, doesn't just mean one particular stakeholder or shareholder. It's everybody. We want to maximize what's happening for all employees. And we want to maximize what's happening for the community and you know, extending our purpose in a really consciously capitalistic way. Um, and suddenly the community is better because of it. So I see them linked.
0: I, I agree. I mean, I think it's so, that's the exciting part about conscious capitalism is that it's not just a bunch of do-gooders that they're actually making more money too. You know, when you when you have a purpose beyond just making profits. Think about the downstream impacts of the way that your employees are going to show up, feeling like they're a part of something. Hopefully, the community is going to want to support you. Your customers are going to be more loyal. Uh, so there are those those sort of downstream impacts that do lead, and in, in the long term, anyways. And sometimes, as you're mentioning, right there, there may be some short term sacrifices when you're not, you know, in year one, you're not profitable yet. But we're we're, we're going to stick with it. We're going to believe for the long term. But Laurie, I really liked your point as well because I think it's so important to go back to our, our founding mission, but then say, how does that need to evolve in you know, the world that we're in today? I mean, I think about even our country and you know the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the things that it stands for. And when it was created, it was always aspirational. We are never maybe quite there. And the ways that we are trying to enact it today are, are trying to move closer and closer to that ideal or bring it back to the, the business realm. I know that Ford is a, is a company that's been struggling with, well, what does the future of, of Ford look like? And they went back to really Henry Ford wanted it to be a mobility company. He didn't care. He, he didn't care if we were getting rid of the, of the horses. We're now, we're now getting people to where they want to go and getting them to be independent. And so now Ford's saying, well, Maybe we do need to invest in some ride sharing companies. Maybe we do need to look at mobility in a broader sense. And so I think when you can show people how this new evolution of your business model connects back to the true, like the core of the purpose, I think that that helps people feel a little bit more comfortable, anyways, that you're not straying too far from your roots, I guess. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. The connection always has to be there. You're going to have people um, that think or say, oh my gosh, well, we've always done it this way and it's always worked, so what's the problem? Well, you have to move forward and you, you have to be conscious about the history and sticking to those values and then show the people that are afraid of change that, yeah, it's still working.
0: Excellent. So somehow we are running through time like crazy. (laughs) So I want to make sure that I get a little bit more wisdom out of both of you in terms of those that are listening. Um, I'd I'd love to hear, you know, what kinds of things that have helped your evolution as a leader, you know, as you're talking about that, that shareholder value, or, you know, you've worked in, in business and you've worked in nonprofit and you've worked uh, in, in several different, you know, types of industries. Um, has has there been mentors? Has there been books or certain experiences that you can point to? How what helped your consciousness and your evolution as a leader? Uh,
1: making mistakes.
0: <laughs> um, I I think back
1: now, fifteen years in the past, about how I may have acted as a leader, and I'm I wish I could go back and have a redo because you learn through your experience. But when I started to uh, read about the notion of servant leadership, uh, Greenleaf. You know, servant leadership. Sure. Um, you know, I've read about it, I've studied it, and I suddenly realized if I had only done that, um, I would have been a much better leader in the infancy of my my uh, executive leadership experience. And you know, it's turning turning the thought process. It's not about me. I, I'm not needing to dictate. I need to help the people I'm working with thrive and excel, and then we'll all be better off. So it's not about me, it's about we, you know, we've, I'm sure, and I know I've heard you talk about these things. If I had only done that sooner, I would have been a better leader. So that's sort of what I subscribe to, and that's represented my personal growth as a leader. And I've seen it extend out in our organization to our senior leadership team, uh, more empowered and, and therefore more successful.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great point. So when you are maybe evolving yourself as a leader, um, is, has there been anything, either suggestions you've made or has it been more leading by example in terms of how do you bring that to the rest of your senior team or, or to anyone who's a, a leader in any capacity in the organization? Um,
1: and so I think leading by example is probably the best way, but we have actually uh, made great strides amongst our leadership team by talking about it and uh, promoting transparency and inclusion, inclusive decision-making. And I, I think that has helped to develop uh, the, the team of leaders into the strongest it's, it's ever been in the organization – and, and, and Lori could speak to it, too, and how that manifests itself. It's, um, I think it's helped the organization immensely.
2: It absolutely has. Um, everyone feels, like Donna says, empowered to give their opinion um, on maybe some directional things that we're talking about, um, you know, issues, uh, paths that we want to take. And, and everybody is comfortable in, in following in, in Donna's leadership Um, and giving their opinion and and coming up collectively with a path. And it's very evident throughout the building and throughout the bakery.
0: So like I said earlier, I I did jump ahead a little bit in terms of what you see for the future of of Holy Childhood and for Special Touch, Um, maybe looking into other businesses, but are there other ways that you see the the purpose evolving, or are there any other regulatory changes that you're watching out for that may need you know require reinvention?
1: If you have a crystal ball and you can let us know if
0: anything's coming
2: down
1: the pike, that would be great. Yeah, I, I think the field the field is changing. Um, the The requirements are always changing, but as far as I'm concerned, we simply have to keep forging ahead to do the best we can for the people we're serving. And by that, I mean providing as much opportunity, um, being innovative in how we provide that. Um, and serving is an example in our community uh, for employers who maybe should think about giving folks an opportunity in their workplaces. Those are the things we're going to continue to do. And I think the the bakery operation over time will evolve uh, so that we're, we're creating different types of opportunities and creating more jobs. And really, I think it's going to go in a couple of different directions in the future.
0: Interesting. That actually inspired one one more question before we wrap up and tell people where the heck they can get these pies. Um, I'm curious, are there ways that you're starting to learn or, or that you have been doing where for, for those that are business owners that may potentially be able to offer positions to those that have developed skills through mm-hmm. your programs, are there trainings that, that you can help them, you know, with that transition process or, or what does it look like if, if there's a business owner that's listening that says, Hey, I might be able to offer a few jobs. What would this look like? How could I get myself ready for it?
1: So we do what we do best and that is support the individual. And so if there is a business owner out there who is interested in employing or creating a training opportunity for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, let us know that. And we have uh, job coaches who will come out with the individuals and help them through the stages of employment, uh, of, of seeking jobs they may be interested in, and then training them. And, and then after a while, the skills are developed, the job coach pulls back a little bit, but is always there as a support at arm's length if need be, to come in and deal with issues. And it's it's not just the technical skills of a job, it's the soft skills too. Absolutely. You know, How do you dress for work? How do you communicate at work? How do you ask for time off? How do you interact with your coworkers? All of those things that might be of concern to a business owner who doesn't quite know what to think about, well, how shall I deal with this? We have the supports in place.
0: That's just phenomenal. I, I'm trying to think of folks that I might know, or, or maybe they're not ready to jump in all the mm-hmm. way, and, and you know maybe what, what could you do? Maybe it's one job, maybe it's two, maybe it's even just like you're saying, a, a shorter term training program, mm-hmm. other opportunities for all business owners to at least dip their toe in the water mm-hmm. of what it looks like to have a little bit more of a conscious capitalism, purpose-driven, stakeholder-focused type of mindset for their business. So maybe I'll leave this one, leave this one with Lori to, uh, to help us wrap up is where can listeners not only learn more about Holy Childhood and, and Special Touch, um, but where do they get a hold of these pies? I know it's, it's pie season for you all. So you guys are ramping up.
2: It's definitely pie season. Um, if anybody is interested in ordering pies, they can call the bakery at 359-BAKE. They can place their order. We've got our uh, Thanksgiving holiday pie order form out there. It's on our website at specialtouchbakery.org. You can take a look at it. You can print it out. You can give us a call and place your order over the phone. Pie pickup day is on the 20th of November. Um, all orders for Thanksgiving are due by the 16th, and you can pick up your pies either at the bakery at 1999 Mount Reed Boulevard or... Or you can pick up your pies at Holy Childhood at 100 Groton Parkway in Henrietta.
0: Love it. And what are what are the different options for different pies? Do you have any favorites?
1: Uh, well, we have how many varieties now? Oh, uh, 30? Gosh, 30, probably about 35 really? varieties Really? Oh, my goodness. Total, I've yeah. got to do some taste yeah. testing. Yeah. I'm partial to the pecan, but, you know, that's just... And I've taste tested them all, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. research and development goes on all
1: the time. Yes, it Um, does.
2: Currently, my favorite is our rumbleberry, which is a triple fruit uh, pie, uh, raspberry, blueberry, and blackberry.
1: All of our fruit pies, by the way, non-GMO. Oh, no kidding. Mm -hmm.
2: And we also offer uh, no sugar added varieties and also vegan pies. Wow. Yep.
0: Well, a little bit of something for everyone, and hopefully a little bit of something for everyone in the podcast too, where (laughs) we have some nonprofit leaders who might wanna think about starting a a for-profit enterprise or initiative. Um, Hopefully we've got some business owners out there who might wanna think about how they can employ people in different ways. Um, The only other thing that I wanted to ask is if someone is in a position where either they themselves or their child or someone they know does have intellectual and developmental disabilities, how do, how might they get involved and in, are there opportunities are are you hiring at the bakery or or mm-hmm. how how could they participate in this.
1: Yes. And so we always list our employment opportunities uh, on the website, both at specialtouchbakery.org and at holychildhood, holychildhood.org. But we are hiring, we are accepting people into our community-based pre-vocational programs. So if they're looking for services, uh, call Holy Childhood and and we can connect people. And we are definitely uh, hiring at the bakery. And uh, in this time of year, uh, we're going to need a little extra help, I think.
2: (laughs) And I would definitely encourage anyone that has not been to Holy Childhood or the bakery, we welcome them, uh, have them give us a call. We'd love to show them around and give them a tour.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you both, (laughs) Donna and Lori, for for coming in. Uh, Just phenomenal work that you're doing, Uh, you know, appreciate your time, but even more so, all that you're doing each and every day for Conscious Capitalism in the Rochester area.
1: You too.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at WickedSquidStudios.com.